This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Sports Biz Pod. I'm your host, Nick Hayden, founder at Sports Biz Group. This podcast is very special because it was recorded during a live event that we put on out of a sold out Microsoft Center in Times Square, New York. We did this event in collaboration with Entree and we built an amazing panel called the future of sports with some of the brightest minds and leaders in our industry. We were very fortunate to sit on this live podcast with Wayne Kimmel, managing partner of 76 Capital, David Meltzer, co-founder of Sports One Marketing, Fielding Jameson, Strategy Director of Global Sports Venture Studio at RGA Ventures, and Colette Smith, Founder and President of Believe in You, Inc., and the first female NFL coach for the New York Jets. We're going to continue to do more events and incorporate a live podcast component, so we're looking forward to seeing more of our listeners and subscribers come tune in and also attend our events in person. Thanks so much. Enjoy the episode. Hey everybody, Charlie Stevens, how are you? Uh, I actually help out host uh, an event every Wednesday, uh, first week of the month where we interview venture capital funds. We get a lot of entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs in here, founders. So if you want to come to that, definitely sign up. We have Canaan Ventures, Bessemer Ventures, and uh, First Mark actually signed up for the next three months. So really great episode. Uh, coming up right now uh, with Nick, but definitely connect on LinkedIn follow Entra, and if you see this pop up, the live show, please engage, send some comments on it. I think we'll start taking some questions uh, within the comments section on the live stream. Just turn down the volume if you're watching it, and if you've got follow-up questions, put it in the comments. But definitely connect on LinkedIn with Entra, and connect with yourselves on LinkedIn as well, because I, for me, that's the best way to connect, and it, it's a great platform. But uh, we'll get, we're going to let... Everybody get started. Nick, I think it's, uh, it's yours. Take it away. Cool. I think I have a mic. Yeah, and we will be reposting and sharing everyone's stuff on social at Join Entra. If you guys want to give us a shout out. And Nick, if you want to tell them more about yourself, Sports Biz Group, and everything. Yeah, yeah I think we're good. All right. And then we'll let everyone kind of introduce themselves. I think that's going to be the best way to get things started. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. All right, how's everyone doing tonight? Good. Can you hear me? Yeah. 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 Thank you everyone for coming out. I'm really excited to moderate this panel. We have a great lineup of speakers. Um, a little bit about myself. I'm Nick. I'm the founder of Sports Biz Group. It's our mission to drive collaboration, innovation, sports. So we do that through events or a podcast through just bringing people together and, and driving that collaboration. So I uh, was really excited when Michael asked me to moderate this and talk about the future of sports and kind of where it's going, where we are, 
And uh, before we kind of dive in, could we just give like a show of hands of people that are, you know, not working in sports or like trying to, to get into the industry, just kind of assess that. So, cool. Um, how many people were like working in sports under five years or kind of like fresh in the industry? Five plus years, veterans, any athletes in the room, former athletes? Ray, raise your hand. Athlete college? So that's good to get that. Um, so yeah, I think the, the purpose of this is where, you know, whether you are in sports, you're trying to break into sports, we're trying to kind of give you a new idea or maybe you connect with somebody that can kind of take everything to the next level. So this should hopefully cater to somebody that's experienced, but also either trying to break in. But um, to, to kind of kick off this panel, I think if, if you all don't mind, just kind of go in that line, talk about what got you into sports and, and kind of what's your you know, big claim to fame in the sports industry. Let's start. Okay. Uh, my name is Wayne Kimmel, managing partner of 76 Capital, and we are a venture capital fund that invests solely in the sports industry. So we're looking for smart, nice entrepreneurs who are looking to build the next great business within the sports industry, whether that's a sports tech business, whether that's an esports company, or something within the sports betting industry. And we've been doing this for the last several years, uh, been in the venture capital business for over 20 years, and just cannot believe how exciting of time it is right now to build new businesses within sports, to work in sports. This is the time, the time is now, and I'm thrilled to be here. And uh, on a panel with you know my esteemed uh, crew here and, and and Nick and it's just going to be a fun it should be a fun time. Awesome. Hey everybody, um, Fielding Jameson. I work for the Global Sports Venture Studio. We are part of RGA Ventures. We are an innovation consultant, executor, and um, investment group that basically brings together high potential startups that are lo looking to work with some of our top partners. Some of our partners include Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, UEFA, Adidas, Dick Sporting nice. Goods. So we're working with some of the top players in the industry, um, and I love where I am working now because I'm getting to work with major corporations, but also still getting to work with some awesome startups and, and hopefully some startup founders like you all. That may be the coolest name ever. <laughs> oh my gosh, my name's so boring compared to that. I'm David Meltzer, typical New York Jew. <laughs> That's why they have me here, I think. Um, started out uh, wanting to be a professional athlete like many of you, and obviously I didn't make it. So I went to law school and got into technology, ended up running Samsung's phone division uh, in my 30s, and then Lee Steinberg hired me to run his sports agency. So I know a lot of you are so young, you may not know who Lee Steinberg is. Most notably, uh, they made the movie Jerry Maguire after him. That's where I met Warren Moon, who I co-founded uh, Sports One Marketing 11 years ago with, and uh, started out with a boutique marketing firm that moved to somehow into venture capital, media, I ended up speaking, writing books, having a podcast, and I didn't even know what a podcast was, all these different things. So uh, my main thing though today is uh, I really believe sports is a great venue to help people be happy, and my main mission in life is to impact Hopefully a few of you to impact others, to impact others, to be happy. I think most of all, Wayne, with your enthusiasm, you said it best. Like We have such an extraordinary opportunity today with sports to really provide a different vision of the world, an abundant vision. There's so many cool things going on. 
Um, but that's why I'm here to hopefully, for the future of sports, allow it to truly be the vehicle that was meant to be to help people enjoy their consistent, ah, consistent, persistent pursuit of their potential. And now another cool name instead of David Meltzer here. <laughs> You're all right. You're all right, David. My, my name is Colette V. Smith. The V is for victory. I, um, my mom would tell you it was for Veronica, but whatever. Um, I always loved sports, but I was never allowed to play football. Football was the only sport that I wanted to play my entire life. So at the age of 42 years old in 2011, I uh, tried out for a women's pro football team and I made the team. And so, thank you. Um, I, I never in a million years thought I was going to make the team. In fact, while I was smoking my Newport, drinking my 40 ounce, I was happened to come across uh, women's pro football team tryouts, literally. For like for real, it was a cold 45. But anyway. Um, <laughs> I thought I was drinking too much, and so when they said it was the final tryouts of the season for women's pro football, I, I still thought I drank too much, and I said, well, I owe it to myself to go, because I've always wanted to play, and I was never allowed to. I was told when I was growing up as an 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old little black girl in Queens, you cannot play because you're a girl, period. So I owed it to myself to see exceptional women defying the odds, and I just said, let me just go experience this and just see it. I won't make the team. Clearly, I was smoking in Newport, drinking 40 ounce, and I'm 42, right? So um, when I got there and I saw 45 to 50 women playing this sport, full equipment, full pads, everything the NFL did they were doing, I was immediately empowered. And I unleashed somebody inside of me that was never allowed to come out. So I went from, I'm just gonna go experience it to I'm going to give it my all. And I, trust me, I gave it everything I had and I made that damn team. And I'm super proud of it because it made me who I am today. It has shaped me. So I'm also, so I went on from playing football for three years with tons of injuries, wasn't the best player on the field, but I was a student of the game, a constant scholar of football. And um, then I became a coach. After I had double knee surgery, I was asked to be a coach for my women's pro football team. I coached my position, which was defensive backs. I was a free safety, sometimes strong. I also did special teams, normally on L4, L5, outside contained, whatever. Then I um, was also doing the marketing and PR for my women's pro football team because uh, they were paying me so much. It was actually $300 for the season I got paid, okay? <laughs> Big bucks, right? Um, uh, from that point on, I became the first female to ever coach in New York Jets franchise history. And um, thank you. And, and I'm most proud to say that I'm the first African-American female to have ever coached in the history of the National Football League. Look. And, and so I... Um, I discovered that while coaching with the New York Jets in 2017, that I was most proud of what I was giving little girls and what I was giving little black kids and brown kids in underserved communities. To see someone that looks like them doing something that they thought they never could, I was that voice for them. So I decided to start my own company and everybody keeps saying to me, why would you leave the NFL? Like That's a dream. A dream for who? Because how dare I dream 
to be an NFL coach when I was 10 years old when you wouldn't even let me play. So it wasn't my dream. But what I discovered along the way was that God gave me football and it saved my life and now I want to save other people's lives. So I, today I do motivational speaking engagements in underserved communities. I also do big uh, corporate um, speaking settings, Amazon, Airbnb, you name it, I'm doing it. If you need me, holla. There you go. <laughs> Kind of kick it off, maybe kind of like an icebreaker. But if there's a, a story that you could kind of tell about, like either when you're starting in the sports industry or of like somebody that was like welcome to the sports industry, kind of not necessarily the best, maybe a slap in the face a little bit, but it kind of woke you up to like what the industry is and kind of like what your role is into that. I got good stories. So my first, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And, you know, don't sell yourself short. You're also a hero to all short people that play football. So I'm looking at you going, damn, I can really play. Um, no, you can't. I am the average Division Three football player. Um, my favorite sports story is when I went to go work for Lee Steinberg. I, I didn't know that he had a drinking problem, and, which is now public, so it makes it easy to talk about. Uh, and my very first, he actually got arrested for public drunkenness, and they were lying to me and saying they were sick. And... In the midst of a $900 million deal to buy the Rams. And this is my first week of being CEO of the most notable sports agency. I came from a technology background, overwhelmed. And so I called Jeff Morad, uh, who I had taken his job. I'm like, Jeff, man, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I got Georgia Frontieri, I got the Rams, I got Franklin Financial, and I have no clue what I'm doing. And literally, Jeff's like, You gotta call Lee. It's like, Lee's in rehab. You gotta call Lee. <laughs> So I called Lee, totally terrified, after I called my wife and told her I want to go home. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I called, and he gave me this great piece of advice that I've used not only in sports, but in entrepreneurship, business, etc. I called him terrified. I'm like, Lee, threw me to the wolves. What am I supposed to do? I have no idea. He said, it's real simple. Number one, don't negotiate to the last penny. Number two, always be fair. And number three, don't do business with dicks. And uh, those were the three things that I have stuck to in sports because there's a lot of people that are scarce in this business and they're tripping over dollars to pick up pennies. Uh, there's tons of people that don't understand fairness and there's plenty to go around. I tell people all the time, if you think it's competitive to get a job in the sports, you are wrong. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. Mm -hmm. It says everybody wants the same 32 jobs. And those jobs mm -hmm. suck, to be honest. I've been offered some <laughs> of them. Uh, there's a lot of really cool jobs, like the one that all of us have. Uh, and then finally, just a life lesson. You know, surround yourself with the right people, the right ideas. And uh, as drunk as Lee probably was when he told me that advice, I still <laughs> am very grateful that he gave me that. And that was my, my first week being in the sport business. All right. Beautiful name. Okay. Um, my kind of first lesson in, in sports that has really translated more into the sports business, but also business world in general, um, comes from I played lacrosse in college. And we uh, had a coach that was a little tough, um, not in the sense of like mentally tough, just kind of like tough to deal with. Uh, in general, um, and and frankly, it was kind of a hard year, but we had uh, this slogan that she kept saying, which was never settle. 
And, and frankly, that was something that we always kept coming back to as a team, which is we have to continue to be better. We have to continue to push ourselves. Even if we're not getting along with our coach at the time, we need to come together. We don't need to settle. Uh, and I don't know if I really understood the impact of those words when I was younger, but it's something that I've really taken with me kind of through my entire career. And I think it really relates to sports mm -hmm. in general, right? Mm -hmm. Whether you're an athlete, whether you're on the business side, whether you're in the youth sports, which is becoming absolutely crazy. Uh, now, I think this idea of never settling for what's just in front of you, because frankly, as a woman in sports, I don't think I'd be here if I just settled for the right idea on. of like the that's sports right. industry is built for men and that's just what it's going to be, right? And there are yep. plenty of women um, who have come before me who have kind of paved that path and have never kind of um, settled just for the status quo. Same thing with the startup industry, with corporations constantly disrupting um, technology and how that's going to really play in uh, for the sports industry, which I know I think we're going to touch on. So I think that that's probably my my mantra that I learned as a college athlete, but has really kind of taken through for the sports industry. Mm -hmm. So my story really um, is what brought us to where we are at 76 Capital today. And we have Scott Powell and, and Krista from my team at 76 that are here tonight, um, standing in the back there. Um, <clears throat> and one of the things that really led us there and one of the things that led us to build our athlete venture group, one of the things that helped us really build what we're doing with our, our partners over at Rubicon Talent, which is a sports marketing firm where they represent professional athletes, Olympic athletes, and sports broadcasters. And by the way, Greg Olson just signed today with the, at the uh, Seattle Seahawks. So we're very excited about that. He's one of our guys. Um, but what, what kind of brought us here was a number of years back, I was um, an investor in Nutrisystem. How many know the weight loss company Nutrisystem? I hope you don't know it. You don't need to know it, right? Um, and Nutrisystem was, was this company that basically was, you know, targeting overweight women in the Midwest, basically. That was kind of who our customers were. And then our CEO at the time, his name was Mike Hagan. His name is now on the arena at St. Joe's University. He met this guy named Dan Marino. Oh. And Dan Marino, he said to him, he said, listen, I said, I'd love, Mike said to him, I'd love for you to come on to the company and get involved with us. And uh, Dan's like, you know what? Actually, I, I could lose about 10, 12 pounds. Sure, I'll try this thing. And that, at that moment, it actually happened on a golf course. That moment really just took this company to a whole nother level. We were trading it. Our it was actually a publicly traded stock on the pink sheets. It was a couple, it was like 60 cents, 70 cents. This company went to as high as $77 a share. And it, it just showed the power of having Dan Marino enabling us to advertise on ESPN and CNBC and focus on a new demographic, men. And it was pretty amazing what happened. And we saw the power of athletes, the power of sport, and has really you know, given us a lot of you know, direction as what, what all the things that we're doing now at 76 Capital. Nice. Um, men get fat too, you know. <laughs> Shoot. What? I'm just I'm saying, I'm just thinking out loud here. Yeah. Um, it's good stuff though, good. Market to the men for that as well. But um, I, I, for me, I, I think um, my aha moment in sports, for me, where I realized I mean, I was super empowered already from all the things I had gone through. I remember I was at a Jets game. We were playing the Detroit Lions, and it was my first, was it my first away game? It was, it was an away game. I had never been to Detroit Stadium before, and I remember we got there. 
We have our, like, we board from the, from the training facility. Who does that? The Jets did. The same way all the other franchise teams did. And it was just, to me, it was awesome. We get to Detroit. We get into the hotel. We have our meetings, coaches' meetings, head coaches, defensive meetings, all of that, player meetings. And then the next morning, we go to the field. And I had my own locker room, you know, obviously, right? So, but I had to walk through the men's locker room to get to mine. And I had my coaching set, because they hang up all your stuff. So I had all my, whatever the Jets wanted us coaches to wear, it was in the locker room. So it was in the hangar, I get dressed, I'm hyped up. And I'm dressed, and I come out, and all the men coaches are in the men coaches locker room. And I'm like, shit, where are these guys? Like, what's taking them so long? Like, I got hair and stuff, and I'm out here, I'm ready. And I wanted to go in there because I heard that they were talking football. You know, they're going to be talking plays and drills and coverages. And I couldn't go in there. And then I waited another eight minutes. I said I was going to be 10, but I'm not that patient sometimes. So I gave them to eight. And then I knocked on the door and I said, look, guys, I'm coming in because you guys are talking schemes. I need to be in here. Hurry up and get the hell dressed. (laughs) So I go in and we're having a great time talking coverages. The guys now were still not done like with stuff that they want to put on. I make my way out to the football field because I want to go see the Lions Stadium from this vantage point, from this lens. Me, a black woman coaching in the NFL, I want to feel this. So I walk out there and there were three white guys, one black woman kind of huddled up on the field. And I'm walking out the tunnel and I'm literally, it's so... I wanted to cry and I wanted to like pound my chest and do burpees at the same time. I was just feeling all these feelings. And so I walk out there and the woman looks at me and she kind of goes, she kind of nods, you know, like, yeah, because she knew who I was or of me. And the white guys were just like, who's, who's that? So um, she must have told them. And then I passed them and I shook her hand and then I shook the guy's hands too and I said, hi, I'm Coach Colette, it's nice to meet you. And they're like, yeah, they told me their names. I walk away and I heard one of the guys say, and excuse my French, Ray, but she's a tough girl, she plays football too. That's Ray, by the way. Anyway, the guy, one of the guys said, and mind you, I said, I'm, I'm Coach Colette, it's nice to meet you. As I walk away, he said, she's probably a fucking cheerleader. And he said it loud enough because he wanted me to hear this. You know, people tend to try to break you down in all kinds of ways. I'm the wrong chick for that. <laughs> so I remember as I walked away, and I, I, I'm sorry guys, but I was walking away and I heard it and I was like, Arr! and I had to pause for a minute. And then I turned around and I felt like it was a slow turn too. And I heard somebody go, oh shit, she's coming back, right? <laughs> and so I did. And I came back and I walked up to the guy that I believed it was and I shook his hand and I said, what's your name again, sir? And he told me his name and I said, I'm Coach Colette Smith. No, I, I said, Colette Smith, Coach Colette Smith. It is nice to meet you. I wanted to say other things, but I was working for the Jets organization, so I had to respect this, you know, my, my, my team, my, my crew. But that made a big difference in my life. Forget about him. I don't remember his name. He is unimportant to me. 
what that adversity showed me was who I am, what I'm going to tolerate, what I'm not going to tolerate, and how I'm going to stand up for myself. So I learned a lot, and I carry that with me to this very day. You know, when I, when I visit schools or I go to universities and I speak to football teams or I do high school football coaching for the day or whatever I'm doing at schools, trust me, we talk. And we talk real talk because this fluff stuff is not going to work with our kids that need to be empowered, need to learn to be kind, right? Need to learn, learn to be kind and also stand up for themselves. So that was a moment in my life that... Um, it's funny, it's, it's even funnier over like a glass of red wine with a bunch of friends talking about it. Whatever. Cool 45. Yeah. Cool 45, yeah. Those are awesome, great stories. So, kind of break it down for all the sports going on, right? Which sport do you think specifically is very innovative, kind of pushing the boundaries? You have your NFL, probably the most lucrative sport. You have new sports like lacrosse, fastest growing. You have basketball, it's a global sport. But if you could just focus on one sport, it doesn't have to be one that you primarily work in, but that has kind of caught your attention to innovate, kind of push you know, the future. That's an easy one for me. It's esports. You know, esports is pushing all the boundaries. Esports is the next thing. Um, it's, it's super exciting to watch. It's super exciting to be involved with. It's super exciting to see the professional level. It's also even more exciting to see what's happening on the amateur side. And for us, the great thing about esports is it's truly an opportunity that where you can truly democratize an industry and a sport. You know, it doesn't matter who you are, if you're a male, female, black, white, it doesn't matter, you can compete in this sport. And we wanna make sure, and one of the big things that we're doing with one of our investments called Nerd Street Gamers is to enable anyone and everyone to be able to play at the highest of levels in esports. And so, so when you go and you want to play on a $3,000 you know, computer that's like a Ferrari with the fastest speeds that you have, we are going to make that accessible <coughs> to everyone, to the public. We announced just last week one of our new facilities. It's, it's over five and a half, it's the size of over five and a half basketball courts in LA. It's right next door to SpaceX. It's near the airport. I mean, it's gonna be phenomenal. You're able to go into different arenas today. So the Wells Fargo Center, you can go to a Sixers and Flyers game and you'll see a local host facility in there where you can go play games. You're gonna see this in other, in other, other facilities around the country. We're doing them on, on college campuses. We're creating the National Championship Series. It's all about en enabling young people to be able to play at any time across these sports. And as you, many of you know, not only you know, are, are people just playing for fun, there's over 177 colleges and universities out there today that offer scholarships for young people that are good at playing competitive video gaming. So it's amazing, it's exciting, and that's where we're spending a lot of our time at 76 Capital. To kind of touch on that again, so a lot of people still don't believe video games is a sport, I believe it is, but could you kind of like just touch on that, on educating maybe people that are still not maybe receptive about esports being an actual sport? Well, I think it's, it's in a competition, right? I mean, so if you, you believe, you know, soccer is a sport and, and, and football is a sport, I mean, you're competing against other people. It's a similar kind of thing that you would in, in any other situation. So for us, it's, it's competitive. It's something that you have to um, be really smart. Certain games like League of Legends, which is a five-on-five -five game, or Overwatch was a six-on-six -six game, you're actually communicating with your teammates. You have a strategy. You have... You have, um, you know, there, there's, there's so much, so many opportunities. And at the same time, 
you know, there are also uh, esports athletes that are making millions and millions of dollars, just like professional athletes. And there, and some of them, like guys like Ninja, are, you know, have Adidas sneaker deals, or you know, um, teams like T1, which is a Comcast team. You know, they're sponsored by Nike. So. There's, yeah, there's certainly, I think there are some people that are, are not um, believers in it yet, but you got to go. Um, this past weekend was the homestand for the Overwatch League, which is in Philadelphia. This past, it was, the homestand was in Philadelphia last, this past week. Last week it was here in New York. If you have an opportunity to see it, go in there and see what happens and watch it, and I think you'll come out as a believer. I don't know how to follow that. Um, listen, I think I, I do the answer is esports, right? I think that we'd be hard pressed to, to not say that what's kind of happened in that industry has been absolutely impressive. Um, they did have that kind of new first mover advantage in the sense that they didn't they aren't tied to a lot of these major rights deals that a lot of the larger organizations that like like the NFL, like the NBA. Um, are trying to figure out right now and how they can be kind of innovative while also negotiating all of these kind of old school contracts um, and agreements that, that they're tied to. So I think that, you know, the eSports was really able to kind of break out of that, kind of create a, a brand new way to consume sports, really be for the, by the people, for the people, um, be on all these different platforms like Twitch, for example, uh, that, you know, we hadn't seen people consuming sports on as well. So frankly, I don't think that any of the um, big sports leagues have it really figured out. I think all of them are really looking um, at innovation and how to be more innovative, including esports, right? I was just reading about kind of the audience sizes there in these stadiums. Those are still the same problems that major sports leagues are dealing with, whether they have these audience that are just sitting there and they're watching something, but they're not really being able to engage. And so how do you really engage with those audiences in a more meaningful way? So I think that there are um, a lot of uh, folks that are really interested in cracking that nut. I'm not sure that we've seen it yet. I think that there's going to be a lot of technologies that help us uh, see that, like 5G, for example, that's going to help that kind of in-stadium engagement and other th and um, other platforms that we're now going to be able to engage with um, both athletes and teams on. But but frankly, I don't think that I could probably choose a league really outside of just talking about esports in general. Um, who I think is, is really has the kind of the answer to kind of breaking through what does this next generation of sports and fandom, fandom look like? Wow. Ditto. Ditto. <laughs> yeah, no doubt eSport, I'm a founding investor years ago because my son told me that 100,000 people were watching a League of Legends championship and more people were watching it than the NBA final game, which was LeBron versus Steph in 2016 and I'm like that can't be right so I asked my media guy Justin what's he talking about esports uh, so I decided I better market myself within the space as an expert so I told my wife I'm gonna make an investment into this team which is now overactive but don't worry I'll lose all my money but it's just a marketing fee me it's the best investment I made in the last four years so just goes to show you I think one component of engagement though which Wayne's company is extremely involved with don't under estimate the power of ubiquity uh, with technology. So when you talk about ubiquity, you're talking about immersing yourself in an experience through visual audio experience. And that's where technology is moving. I'm blessed to be from a technology background with a sports background and gambling allows the true immersion of the yeah. excitement of participating in whatever you call a sport, bowling, cornhole, e-sport, it doesn't matter. 
if you can bet on it, you're immersed in it, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're immersed, whether it's a dollar bet. And we know through the speeds of processing through 5G, et cetera, that real-time ubiquitous gambling is going to be a whole nother level of engagement while you're sitting there, while you're sitting there. And, it, and it's going to be as if you're now with 100,000 people all, you know, like the old days when they're passing dollars around a boxing ring or, you know, different types of fights. That's what I think the future of sports is going to be. And it, and it will happen online with esports and other things as well. So keep your eye on esports, but even more importantly, the overarching ubiquity of technology and how we gamble. And it's not just money, right? It's prizes and polls and contests. People love competitions about the competition. That makes them feel like they're even more a part of their team mm-hmm. because they have something to lose or gain. I, when, when, when I first, I first heard, heard about, about esports, e-sports I, didn't I didn't know what the hell it was. I was like, I don't even understand why we're talking about esports. E means what, something on a computer? Like, why are we not on the football field? I, I, I didn't get it. Um, I was exposed to it by way of the NFL alumni, because I'm NFL alumni family, so I usually do gigs with them, uh, speaking to kids around the world. Um, I did an event with the Mandela family, uh, and esports was introduced there, and they had high school kids from where the heck was I? I don't know, somewhere down south I was, I don't even remember. Uh, they had kids teaching esports to other kids and adults. And it's, it's a big money, it, it will be a huge money maker. And, and, and the same with gambling with esports and all of this. It's also just people want to be involved in sports. There are some people that are not athletic, you know? Um, that there's just some people that are just not athletic and, and but they I love sports, you know, hard. you try her, but you're not going to beat the team. Um, but, but, but we, but you like sports, right? So you need to have a, a place for it. So it, the, I think the e-sport and all this gaming stuff and the 5G, I did a commercial with Verizon Ericsson with a couple of my Jets players, uh, for 5G with the goggles and all that stuff. It was cool as heck. It takes some time to get used to, but but that's that's the that's the wave of the future when you think about this because it's now going to engage everybody. So as opposed to you just being a spectator, if you are not an athlete, you get to enjoy sports on a whole nother level, and that's some way to make some money, you know. So or lose some money. Get right. Yeah. 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 But, uh, so let's talk more about sports betting. Um, I mean, out of raise hands, anyone sports bets here, or people that go to Jersey, Jersey to bet or like bet illegally, just kind of like. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was like <laughs> so can't even ask. <laughs> so let's let's kind of break that bet. down. Um, <laughs> let's break that down a little more. We kind of you all answered esports and then kind of tapped on the betting. So let's talk more about sports betting. Like, what are some of the risks going on where some of the big potentials and like who's really innovating uh, really well in, in sports betting. Count me out of that one because I don't bet, I'm frugal, I save my money, no nope, <laughs> betting over here. Nope. No. There you go. <laughs> Say nope, nope, nope to betting. <laughs> um, you know, Wayne actually educated me and I'm going to actually allow you because he is truly an expert when he talks about the different states, the issues with indie casinos, in the last, and I'm going to get this hopefully right, in the last 18 months, 20 states passed, 21, 21 now, since last time I saw them in another state. So it's just incredible. I literally do not want to talk to this point because this guy knows everything. 
And so uh, I'm going to pass the buck unless you want to. No, no, no. You go ahead. Where should we start? <laughs> no, no but, but I think what, what Dave was saying is, 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 really, is, is really interesting. And we, Dave and I had a really great conversation in Las Vegas a few weeks ago um, to really talk about what's happening within the sports betting industry. And so what happened, so the funny thing is, Nick, if you would have asked that question on May 13th of, la of, of 2018, there would have been no hands up in here because if people were betting, that would be betting illegally. But now, after May 14th of 2018, the law, the PASPA law, which was a law that said that you could, not only, you could only bet in the United States legally in the state of Nevada. That law was, was deemed unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. And now, since then, 21 states have passed bills to enable those states to have sports betting. 13 of those states, about a third of, of all, the whole United States, has now legal, legalized sports betting, and it's active and it's happening. So certain states like New Jersey and Pennsylvania are almost equal, or have, have actually this past month, New Jersey had more um, betting than the state of Nevada, um, wow. which was pretty incredible. Really? Yes. Mm -hmm. So we've gone from an industry that was about a $5 billion industry in Nevada to an industry that's about a, about a $17 billion industry right now. And the types of projections that Adam Silver and many of the other really big people within the sports world are saying this industry could become a $500 billion industry. So what's exciting about that? Entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs. The fact that we can now literally innovate and try to change and make this industry something really, really special. So we believe that the entrepreneurs will come into this industry and create a complete disruption, will bring innovation to this industry, and will come up with ways to make it even more interesting to bet, to engage in this whole world of sports, whether it's esports or traditional sports. One other thing I'll add is, is just that one of the things that here in America, a lot of people are not used to betting on games after the game kicks off, or there's a face-off, or there's a tip-off. In Europe, over 70% of the bets are actually, actually happen while the game is going on. Here in the U.S., we would rush, hey, we would call our guy, we'd be like, hold on, let me call my guy, you know, I gotta, I gotta call my guy, I gotta get my bet in before the game. That's something that you don't have to do with the fact that now you're able to bet on your phone um, and during games. So in-game betting is something that's gonna be really, really big here in the U.S. and is already big. The idea that being able to come up with prop bets or do all sorts of types of things, those are the, that's, what's, that's what's happening now, that's, what's, that's kind of what's next here. Um, and you know, the fact of the matter is in New Jersey, over, I think it was over 85% last month of the bets that were made were not made in sports books. They were made on phones. Phones, mobile phones, right? I mean, so we're, we're in a whole new world within sports betting now. All these new states that are coming on. The fact that the law, you know, the the uh, the Raiders are now the Las Vegas Raiders. I mean, can you believe that? I mean, it's just it's it's amazing what's happening. You're going to see you'll see an NBA team soon, an MLB team in Vegas. Um, I just think that it's it's a really exciting time to be in this industry. And what's what's even more exciting is let's think about how we innovate on that industry. What just happened? What was the talk of Super Bowl? Right, the biggest talk of Super Bowl was barstool getting an investment and a valuation at $450 million by Penn National Gaming. Who the heck is Penn National Gaming? 
Penn National Gaming, right? It, was, it has casinos in 40 different states. John Kaplowitz, who left Comcast, who's now over there, bought, or hasn't bought yet, but invested 160 some odd million dollars into Barstool. A casino company and a media company coming together. Incredible things that are happening in this industry. You're gonna see these big mergers. You're gonna see entrepreneurs coming up and doing new things. We're investors in, in VEASAN. I don't know if any of you listen to VEASAN or watch VEASAN on MSG here in New York or on Nessun or the Marquee Network will be on in, in, the, in, in Chicago and, or on Sirius XM channel 204. You can listen to Brent Musburger's network. And you know, David was at our, was at our studio in, in Vegas where we broadcast about sports betting 24 hours a day, just like CNBC broadcasts about the market, how the stocks are moving, right? That's what CNBC talks about. How, you know, all the, we do the same thing around games. The line, the Jets versus the Giants, started at three, dropped to right. two, went up, this and that, right? Mm -hmm. Those types of things, those movements, while the game's going. So if you listen, if you, another, you talk about what's innovative right now, the XFL is being really innovative. Yeah. So we have BetCasts. So on, on, uh, on iHeartRadio, you can listen to our BetCasts during XFL games. And yes, we do play-by-play, -play and we talk about the 17-yard pass down the left side, but we also say that was a first down and the line just moved. And the over-under just went up or down. While, so you can make different types of bets while you're in the, in the middle of games. So there's a lot happening, and I can keep going on, but again, that's... Sports betting. For a <laughs> I'm glad you brought up the, the XFL. That's, some, that's something I want to touch on. Um, there are, if most people do not know this, over 100 women's professional full tackle football teams in America alone. Over 100 of us. I only played for three years, but there are women that have been playing since 1999. And uh, it's interesting that we're not on television, but the XFL is. Like, come on, are we serious here? I, I, you know, I get watching that LSU Clemson game. Hell yeah, I'm watching that, you know? Um, but, but come on, you know, who's, in, who's going to be the leader here and step to the plate and start looking out for women in football? I said it, there you go. Because I think it's gonna be a big deal, because it is. You know, I know that when I was playing pro football that and I, was a, I grew up a Jets fan and I was going on social media when I started doing the PR and I would have the guys from social media, you know, come out to my, my Sharks games. Because we'd be at a football game after we practiced. And we women practice three days a week, Tuesdays and Thursday nights, after work, of course, because we're not getting paid anything. Right, so we have to hold down a job. So Tuesdays and Thursdays, when I was selling real estate, high-end real estate in New York City, with my Louboutins on and my LV bag and my Prada suit, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I was carrying a football helmet, cleats, and shoulder pads. People would ask me, what are you doing? What is that for, is that for your kid? I'm like, I don't have any kids. Anyway, this is marble, south-facing, what, you know, like. So my point is saying all of this is because who is going to be the leader here? You want to talk about being an innovator. Be an innovator for women. You know? And, and so it's exciting to see women play sports. Who is going to take that leap? So the XFL, somebody got some explaining to do. So there you go. There you go. I, I think just to also just tie some of that, both of those points together, kind of, I think that what's really interesting about the sports betting world, I also kind of have a question for you about 
the innovation that's really allowed in the sports betting world, right? Because my understanding of this is, yes, while 21 states have come on board to say it's, it's absolutely legal to do sports betting here, it's still really high prices for these innovators and, and startups to actually get a license. I know in New Jersey it's cheaper. It's like $100, right? But Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, for example, was a, a state with a 10 million, right? So just on, just on that innovation, and then I have one more thing to tie that back, but just to clarify for those, because I, I, I do think it's important for the startup community to understand the kind of difficulties there, and where that's, I'd love your opinion on where that's going. Mm -hmm. Right, so it's $10 million in, in Pennsylvania if you want to be an operator. Got it. Right? To be an, to when we look at the world of sports betting, there's a lot of different pieces to it. So there's the opportunity to just be a company that collects data that's used in the industry. There's an opportunity to be a company that analyzes the data and that uses all sorts of the same types of analytics that you see on Wall Street and the hedge fund guys are using. That is coming to sports betting. Those are not, you don't have to be an operator right. and, and to pay those fees. Um, you could be a media business like Barstool, like VEASAN. One of the big areas that we're focused on also is the integrity side of the business to make sure things are on the up and up. We have a company called US Integrity in that, in that space where we're the only third party technology company that is making sure that all the bets are on the up and up and that we're, people are doing the right and thing out there. watching them? What? Who's watching them? Me. Watching, yeah, <laughs> I, I got it. I got it. Don't worry. I'll call you. Go. Um, but then, and then, and then also think about what will happen. So if you go over to Europe now, you can trade sports bets just like you would trade stocks. And that's something that's not possible in the U.S. today because it's a state-by-state -state thing and there's no federal law. And we have something called the Wire Act. However, things change. And there may be a time when there's opportunities for entrepreneurs to create something like maybe the NASDAQ of sports betting or other types of markets. So there's, I, there's really, really interesting things that entrepreneurs can do and look at this industry and not just be an operator, but think about it differently. Because if you think about this, right, go back to the 90s, 20 years ago in this city where I sort of really cut my teeth in the venture business, there was an opportunity. There were all these tech companies, GE, IBM, Xerox, Microsoft, and they were the, the leaders in technology and they should have all won the internet, right? Because they were the big guys, they had all the money, they could do everything. Who won the internet? Google, Facebook, Amazon, companies like Seamless Web, which was one of my portfolio companies. And we, they just knocked out, literally knocked people out and hit them with left hooks. I mean, GE has to run damn commercials to tell people they're a tech company now. So that's the opportunity today. So think about that. You have MGM, you have William Hill, you have IGT and Scientific Games. And these are really big companies. They're either going to buy your companies if you're an innovator in this space, or you have an opportunity to knock them out. And that's what we're excited about. Yeah. I, I think what I'm also, also really excited, excited about in that space, and just kind of to relate it back to this kind of the idea of football as female and, and, and women in sports, is because there's such a movement around sports betting, there's also such a movement around these free-to-play games. Um, and, and what we're seeing is actually a lot of people that love to play games are women. 
And so I think what's really exciting about this time is as we're seeing kind of more opportunities for different demographics, different genders, different people to come together in a, whatever way they want to around sports, whether that's betting, whether that's making a prop bet on Shakira and JLo's you know, Super Bowl <laughs> performance, um, whatever that is, it's bringing new people into traditional sports. And I think that that's really exciting to see. Um, and especially kind of on, on the women's side, I agree, we need more representation. Um, we need to be, you know, have women's sports more on, on the forefront. But I think to, in order to get there to showcase that women are fans, they want to be a part of the conversation. Absolutely. They want to talk about these sports and they want to engage in a way. And I think that all of these other things that are allowing different ways to engage are really opening the doors for a lot of communities and a lot of people who feel like they haven't traditionally been able to engage with sports because maybe they don't sit on ESPN 24-7 and be able to rattle off every single stat, right? Yeah. And I think that that's something that has always been a challenge. I hate when guys ask me about for, stats. Certainly like, for me, right? I, care I, I about cannot that. I care remember. about the next game. Exactly, sure. right? And so you're seeing, um, and there's a lot of entrepreneurs in that space. There's a great startup called The Gist that is yeah. out there. Um, really trying to put sports more in a female voice and raise awareness about that. And so we're seeing there's so many, too many to list in the, in the sports betting and, and gaming mm -hmm. um, startups. But I think it's a really exciting time um, for, for kind of both sides. Mm -hmm. That's great. Let, let's talk more about women's sports or women in sports. You have like uh, WNBA, they just announced a new collective bargaining agreement that significantly increased their pay. That's a huge move forward. Uh, we saw the women's national soccer team, they think one more, they, they outpaced their men uh, counterparts, yeah. but they didn't get paid as, as much. But what, what's the what's the problems facing? How do we fix the problems? And what needs to happen, whether it's a big media deal, increased salary, how do we how do we kind of all rally around that? Uh, uh, I'll I work closely with the female quotient uh, because it's, it's gonna take men to understand and to help uh, because that who that's who holds the keys right now mm -hmm. and so and I think it's one factor that that we see with the female quotient is we bring in all the thought leaders men and women is that people are impatient uh, with what they're passionate about you know, football for example is the most popular sport two to one for women than any other sport but yet they're underrepresented in officiating coaching and playing uh, with all the leagues. Uh, I remember it, in just a matter of time and perspective when Robin Roberts came on ESPN for the first time being nine or ten I remember thinking to myself oh my god there's a girl mm -hmm. sportscaster and I have three daughters beautiful wife I work very hard for equality for everyone all sexes sizes athletes non-athletes mm -hmm. everyone and but I know my perspective and so it's really important, I think, for everyone here to understand that your job is to pursue this the best you can and allow, allow it to happen. It, it takes time. I know uh, Jake's mom runs the, the female quotient, and I asked her, how long do you think it'll take till we have equality in sports mm -hmm. in the pay side? And she thought it would be about 120 years till we would be, and that's like a leader of, of and now, we can rush to make it faster, and that's what we should be all working together, but it has to be inclusive. Right on. Right? And I think that's the, yep. uh, we, we did a poll with Stanford just on politics and sports and asked kids the number one thing they want in their, in their next president, and it was unification. 
How about that? Right? And that's I think yeah, that, that's the issue for me, at least, in trying to help this cause the best that I can yeah. as a sports leader uh, who's not a female. Uh, but I think we need to really focus on what can we do together to, to speed this process up. Yeah, I, I agree. You, absolutely correct. It, it takes men to help us along. We're not going to do it alone. You know, um, I know when I visit schools and I ask children, I ask the boys and the girls, who is your hero? Who do you look up to? Who's a mentor to you? Boys say, you know, uh, an, an athlete or they'll say Obama or somebody like that. Girls will say my mom, my aunt, right? And it's different. It's like there's, a, there's, there's something missing here. We're dropping the ball, no pun intended. We're dropping the ball here on having all kids be considered equal. Um, if I don't have enough jobs already, I'm also the executive director and government for, for government and community relations for our league called the WNFC. It's a women's national football conference. We are in a second season right now. We've picked up 10 more teams. We're 20 teams already. We poach teams because that's just how we roll. Mm -hmm. We're going to get the best and that's how that goes. We've got uh, um, some, um, some deals with Adidas. We're working on, uh, we've got some contracts go, being sent, being monitored now by media to get stuff televised right now. But it's, it's interesting because we have to work 20 times harder to get this kind of stuff done. And then we all have to have our real jobs that pay us real money. Right? So, but, but I, I think to the point about just, just basically equality, women make up a higher percentage for the NFL's income. So if you take out women, you, I'll just say this, you keep treating women like we're not here. And we all women unite and say, we're not letting our husbands go to games, we're not going to games, we're not buying products, we're not getting hot dogs near the game, you guys will fold, right? So it's like somebody recognize, right? So it's about unity and all of us coming together because sports is the great uniter. Right? Sports, I don't care where you're from. If you don't like that guy from London, if he's on your team, he's a great receiver. I bet you love him now. Right? It's the great uniter, and we need to be using that on all levels for making money, for equality, uh, um, self confidence, believing in yourself, team spirit, all of that. This world would be a better place. All right. Cool. Anyway. I don't know if I, no, it's okay. We can go. So, uh, we're going to have one more question, question that we can open up for Q&A, so we'll make this one uh, good and, and let you guys think about this. But um, if you had to make the most bold prediction about where sports is going to be, whether it's a specific sport, how people consume sports, how athletes, what, whatever you want to be, just so bold that it would kind of make you feel a little weird about like saying it, you know, something that would be outside the box, what would that be? It, it could be in any type of asset, whether a new sport rising up, how you consume it, or however you want to interpret it. Female NFL commissioner, female head coach. There you go. Done. Fem more female owners of teams that add to that list. Any other? I'm holding on to the mic. Well, I just I think the the boldest thing to say is over the next ten years, the sports industry will be the not only the fastest growing industry in the United States, but one of the biggest industries in all of the United States. Mm -hmm. At all levels. Um, 
I think that leagues right now are in a dilemma because I think that what we're seeing is people are starting to gravitate towards individual athletes versus actually to full leagues and frankly even teams. And all you have to do to understand that is to go on any social media platform and look at the amount of people that are following LeBron James versus the LA Lakers. Mm -hmm. It's literally about four times on LeBron's side. Right. Same thing with Cristiano Ronaldo, same thing with Megan Rapinoe. It doesn't matter who it is, they have at least double the amount of followers that teams do. So personally, I think that teams or like we have seen in the corporate world now, corporations and brands, and you hit on it a little bit with GE, are actually starting to have to, to develop an identity. Who are they? Who do they stand for? Do they care about the environment? Do they care about women? Do they care about diversity? Do they care about how they treat their employees, aka their athletes, right? Um, I think that we're actually going to start to see this a little bit more in leagues. You're starting to see it, I think, a little bit on the mascot side. Gritty is a great example from Philadelphia um, in the NHL, if anyone has seen him. But I think that what the leagues are going to be starting to, I mean, excuse me, teams and leagues are going to be starting to be held to a high standard of who are they, who do they stand for, and frankly, you know, why should we as individuals care about them and invest our time into caring about you know their their team their sport their athletes. Hmm. My bold prediction is you have not, not even seen esports. I think they will ten to one. There'll be more people viewing, people watching video games and video participants than all other live sports combined. Real that within my lifetime for sure, ten times to one people will prefer to watch a digital version of a sport that actually sit in a stadium and watch a live sport 10 to 1. Awesome. And uh, any questions? Yeah, can I ask you a question? I saw this guy's hand first, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> All right, who's going to pay us more? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a question. Well, that's Clay. Yep. Just see my Okay, so I actually have tons of questions for all of you. I know I only get one chance, so. But uh, the one that's most important right now is related to sports betting. I guess it's more specifically noted towards Wayne since you're the expert on the panel. But uh, from what you were saying about how sports is going in the direction of more of like a, a stock market uh, type of feel, I've heard about um, arbitrage betting in, in Europe and how that's like a huge thing and a huge way to mitigate risk when you're betting. But I know that isn't as available for the U.S. because we only have like um, a, a select amount of platforms to use, whereas they have like a bunch of platforms. So I want to know if there's any options for people in the U.S. to partake in uh, arbitrage betting and uh, like make money that way <laughs> without using like VPNs or something. So are there opportunities today? Um, not as, not, n nothing even close to what you're describing um, in, in Europe. So the opportunity, and this is why I think it's so exciting and such an opportunity for entrepreneurs and innovators, is to actually think about how you can actually do that, how you will be able to do that here in the US. It may take some lobbying efforts. It may change takes laws and regulations and different types of acts to be repealed or, or moved around. But when those things happen, it's like the question that Nick just asked, like what's going to happen next 10 years? These things are things things change. I mean the world changes every single day. 
And so things will change and there will be more and more opportunities for you to do that. And if right now, you know, the, the closest thing you can do is kind of in-game betting and you can kind of see where things are going and you can watch or listen to VEASAN and we'll, we'll, give you, we'll give you that sort of, you know, these sort of tips and ideas as these games are going on. We have something called the Green Zone, which is one of our shows and it's actually on right now um, because there are games going on and it's very similar to the Red Zone, but we talk about the numbers and not the touchdowns. When, uh, it's back to this. <laughs> oh, um, that's too long. Way right here. Um, how do you see yourself? Because you mentioned Google and and before the GE and all those um, companies and what what's called the innovator's dilemma in terms of the guy from Harvard who wrote that famous book in terms of the big companies that buy small companies that, are, that can dance in the agile. Well, Google had Stanford and it took its time to innovate under the umbrella of Stanford as two PhD students before they went out. Now, do you see yourself as, as a Sony with a music mo business model where you wait for the independent record labels to, to make 50,000 records and you buy them and exploit them? Or are you willing to invest in companies that, for example, all the technology out there for immersive reality for e-gaming is already out there. But to fine-tune it to make it what it should be, you need to be an R&D person where you put the money and just wait for the, the technology to mature itself so the way Apple does it with, with its own products. Are you willing to do that? So that's what we do. So at 76 Capital, we are early stage investors. We are seed stage investors. We're the investors that go in with the first couple hundred thousand dollars with the first couple million dollars in the companies. That's what we do. We are all about, as I said earlier, we look for entrepreneurs who are smart, who are nice, and who want to do really big things and change the world. So we believe that you know, we take bets, we take big bets on entrepreneurs with ideas that are truly going to be the ones hopefully that will be the winners in this industry. And we are really proud of, the, of our current portfolio of companies that we have. But Scott Powell back there, there he is, he's looking for the next one, right? He's, he's, he's with us and he's looking for the next entrepreneur, whether that's in esports, sports betting, sports tech. We wanna meet you, we wanna invest in you, we wanna work with you, we wanna help you, and we want you to be the best. My company's called Believing You Incorporated, what's up? Tell, tell Scott. Scott. Yeah, I'm telling Scott right now, and you. Uh, telling all of you. <laughs> How's it going? Um, I have a good question for all four of you. So you guys mentioned a lot of data and life scoring, how it's gonna affect not just the big leagues, but the small leagues. So right now, for example, there's a company called Sports Radar that is also very famous for that. So do you think a lot of companies are taking that initiative as well, or do you think it's still like open season for that right now? So much in the, in the data space. I think it's still open season. Um, I think that yes, a lot of companies are working with Sports Radar. They happen to be the best right now at, at the time. Um, but that doesn't mean that those those doors are closed. I will tell you that all of the leagues that we are working with, one of their number one focuses is data. Um, how to get it quickly, how to get it automatically, what to do with it, how to digest it, how to put it on the screen, how to make it consumable for, for the average consumer. There's so much happening in data all the way from 
capturing it to then actually doing something with it. And there's so many steps in between there. Um, so I think that you're seeing kind of a lot of um, a lot of innovation in that space. And so I don't think the door the door is closed by any means. And I actually think that what people are now doing is not only looking at what they can do with one data stream, but what can you do with 10 data streams and then actually extrapolate kind of from that and create these new engaging experiences for everybody or create new insights for their athletes. So we're working on a number of pilots uh, that is doing just that, right? So some of those are on the media side. How do you make it more engaging by showing some of that data uh, to consumers and making it look sexy? Uh, and then we're also looking at it from the athlete side, which is how do you kind of take all of these different forms of data? If you go out and run a 100-yard sprint, does it matter the temperature, what, what music you were listening to, what you eat, how many hours did you sleep, what, like, you know, how much are you sweating? Did you, you know, kiss your kids goodbye in the morning? Though all of these little data points are actually playing into this much larger story. Yeah. So I think that this this kind of same thing goes with on the, the sports team side. And I'm most interested in emotional data. So yeah. incredible opportunities within understanding the emotions, whether it's advertising within performance, we actually can indicate what emotion that you have while they're performing. Or I'm from the sponsorship and advertising side. It's tremendous thing to be able to get feedback on what someone's feeling when they see what yeah. what you're doing and, and that's already available i think there's a huge opportunity for any Always you entrepreneurs always. there or even how their face looks that's happening in a lot of esports right now right, right? which is you're seeing this upfront version of you've got everybody's face this close to the screen um especially if you downloaded any of those apps but um so uh, <laughs> um but i think that esports is a really interesting place for data right i would be talking to one of our partners who is really looking at you know how does even kind of your emotional reaction of your face, are you like gritting your teeth? Are you smiling? How many times are you blinking? All of these crazy data points um, well, that, that people are looking for insights from. Yes, and, and, and for me as a, as a former athlete, well, that I can't be, you haven't seen it yet. I, um, for, for me as an athlete and, and as, a, as a coach, right, I think about, you think about the helmet innovation, you know, with Rydell and, and doing things about the concussion and giving new, you know, data information that, that is vital. You know, it's not just for our adult athletes, but I think for our kids first, for the youth first to have these, but then that's cost so much money to have that done. But all this kind of stuff is important where even, you know, with, with uh, our athletes on, a, on professional teams, I can only speak for football, but I want to know how many passes you're catching, breaking that down from time of day to what did you have for lunch. Like all of this is more, like more, just more. We, we are hungry for more information all of the time. So more data, more better. Yeah. <laughs> More money, more. more better. So a lot of what we've yeah, talked about or heard tonight is really on the supply side, right? But what about on the consumer side? So there seems like there's an increased focus on specialization at a much younger age, say like kids going to camps or being a part of travel teams specific to one sport as early as 10. And then they burn out, like at 12. I know me, I'm not in the sports industry, but I hire people and I know that I'm looking to hire people that probably have participated in sports at a higher level than Little League at six years old. You know, we know the benefits, the health benefits, we know all that stuff. So how do we encourage, and I mean, what would you suggest as a way to encourage kids 
to continue to participate in sports, say after that age of 12, where that seems like the big burnout point, uh, so that, again, you guys and the people in this room who are entrepreneurs will have consumers. Um, I, I think that for, for us, kids need to realize at a young age that sports is going to get you a job, right? You have an interview with somebody, you're just out of college, you didn't play any sports, you're not going to be that viable of a candidate because sports is team for the most part, right? That's a good look. And then you also think about how the kid that's not athletic, the, we just we spoke about this earlier, there are so many... Tessa's laughing. No, there's so many. Um, there, there's so many jobs in sports, right? So you're gonna get kids interested in sports, which is gonna do a plethora of things. It's gonna keep them off the streets, right? We don't want our kids hanging out in the streets, starting to smoke cigarettes and drink forty ounces, right? And and then and then and so so keeping our kids off the streets, being involved in sports is gonna get you jobs. There are all kinds of jobs. There are jobs that I didn't have any idea about when I was a kid. So if, if when I was told I wasn't allowed to play football because I was a girl, had I known I could have been a sports manager, an agent, a worked in PR in the front office, could have been a, like I would have gone into that. My whole career in college would have been my 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 major would have been different. So I think just telling kids all the information about sports. Would be a great way. Yeah, I, I think that it's you know that all all you said was true about sports can help. I I do think though that we are in a really interesting time where the demand that we are putting on our children is too high, frankly, uh, in the sports in the sports world. And then not every sport is is like this, and this isn't everybody's um, you know path. I I feel very grateful that I didn't burn out and kind of have that experience. Um, but the numbers that you're seeing and the decline in youth sports is a real thing. And frankly, you're seeing a lot of leagues and a lot of sports companies focus on it. And that's something that we're super focused on at the Global Sports Venture Studio. Youth sports is a big component of what we're looking at. Um, you're seeing a lot of innovation in that area. Um, people try to, because if youth sports continues to go down, we're not going to have athletes to watch and we're not going to have people who are interested in sports. And so it's really critical that we pay attention to some of these numbers that, 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 that's kind of out there right now for youth sports. I don't think I, I have the, the answer. I do think it's just coming back to the idea that sports are supposed to be fun. And we're supposed to be here to be a team and to build those relationships and to enjoy those moments. And I think that for all of the parents out there, just don't lose sight of that this is supposed to be something that your kid enjoys. Um, and frankly, so they can hopefully enjoy it for, for the long term. And so I do think it's, it's a, an issue. I think that a lot of sports companies and leagues are taking it very seriously and taking that burnout very seriously. And so what I'm hoping to see is those numbers kind of start to turn um, and the youth kind of staying in sports longer because you are right. It does keep kids off the street. It does stop them from making bad decisions. It does help them get better jobs. That doesn't always resonate, though, with a 10-year-old, right, when you're trying to convince them uh, to do something. But, you know, the demand that we're putting on these kids is, is frankly really hard and we didn't get into college athletics really at all we didn't get into the ncaa but you know there. there's a lot to unpack there frankly <laughs> um in terms yeah, we're of the only college athletes you and I. yeah 
Uh, and I certainly was not going to get paid for my time. But you know what? I think a lot of those kids deserve to get paid for how much money that they're bringing in. And I think that, you know, that's a, another, I guess, prediction. Uh, frankly, as I think the college athletic scene is going to completely change. I think the NCAA is going to completely change. And I think, frankly, we're finally going to start paying some of those college athletes or at least supplying oh, them yeah. with funds so they can live and not be yep. you know, on the street but participating in a game that's bringing in millions of dollars. Right the university's um, um, millions there. of dollars. So I, right. you know, I, I don't have the answer, but I'm, I'm with you. I think there's, uh, to, yeah. be, to be clear, I think that there's a lot being done around Just it. Just three questions we should be asking because I believe I hire people who played sports for that same reason. It's just ask your kids or the coaches to really look at three things. What, what did you learn today? Did you hustle and did you have fun? We've lost focus of the three main reasons we play sports. To learn, to hustle, and to have fun, and it'll be fine. Cool. Uh, one thing that I actually want to talk about, and feeling you kind of jumped in on it a little on the last question, was college athletics. Obviously, tonight we're talking about the future of sports. Um, and, you know, it's something that's super prevalent and brand new, and kind of the Wild West. Uh, so just wanted to hear your opinion on it. like how the landscape's changing currently, you know, how it's going to change in the next 5, 10, you know, 50 years. Um, so I'll let, I'll let you get started. College sports. College sports. Right. College sports, landscape, how it's changing. College, yeah. I, I'll talk the marketing side yeah. because years ago I ran a thing called Steve Clarkson Dream Makers and we had Liner. And Reebok was the jersey company for the, the NCAA, for the USC. And they made an argument. We said he should be paid because they had actually ordered a half a million jerseys for Leinart. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, it doesn't even have his name on the back. This is a USC jersey. The number isn't 11 isn't his. He shouldn't be paid anything. If Matt would have done what we asked him to do, which was at the last minute change his number to number seven, we would have been accelerating Wow. This marketing fee for players. Imagine what would have happened. Wow, wow. Right? If they, wow. right? Okay, if my name isn't tied to number 11, yeah. then I, I want to wear number seven this year at the last minute. And we didn't have enough Lamar jerseys this year. Huh. It was a really big issue. So, you know, forget performance fees. Everyone's their own brand. And I think in all sports, not just college, if you're not looking in business, everybody, I'm living proof at building a personal brand, you're making a huge mistake. There's billions of people out there. You can own your own audience today, whether you're an accountant, a lawyer, or a superstar, a football player, it doesn't matter. I always say my first entrance into the sports business world was college, because I think it was me going there as a college athlete. Um, I went to an Ivy League school, so you know, uh, not necessarily huge in, huge in athletics, um, but from Atlanta and big UGA fans, so very familiar uh, with, with kind of how big uh, SEC schools operate. And I think for me, what was so interesting was to go to school and to be friends with you know, kids on the football team and to see kind of how they act and how young they were. We're all there learning. These are 18-year-old kids. And then frankly, at, you know, to then translate like, wow, that's the same age group that I'm cheering for in, um, in the college you know, football championship or the same athlete that's expected to be on the field for 25 hours, for 30 hours a week, and then also be earning a college degree at the same time. Um, and I think that that's when I was like, wow, sports is a business, right? And uh, you know, I, I do think, I kind of touched on this earlier, I do think that that's gonna change. I think that the, and people are really catching on to, I think that the NCAA who claims that they really protect their athletes 
And if they're doing that, then we need to make sure that if, if we're trying to give them an education, then we need to give them that fair shot of getting that education, um, right? And not necessarily just going to a huge college uh, football school and then taking classes online the entire time, right? That's, that's I don't know who that's frankly helping uh, there. So, you know, I think that um, I love college sports. It is made me the person who I am today. I'm such a believer in them, but we need to get back to kind of the core of what um, makes those college sports special. And frankly, I think give opportunities to athletes if they don't want to participate at that level to let them go ahead um, to that next level. I think that's, that opens up another can of worms potentially, but I, I think that that's my personal That's opinion. very interesting because that doesn't happen. That happens maybe at an Ivy League school. I went to an HBCU. If you don't know what an HBCU is, it's a historically black college and university. That kind of stuff is not happening there. <laughs> okay? So they're getting their education um, the best we can, but I, I think for any kid that wants to play, if you want to play, play. Play. Just, just, just go ahead and play. I think that kids should get paid money if they're bringing in the school. If that kid is the attraction to that school and you're bringing in ticket sales for your basketball game, your football game, then yeah, there needs to be a share of the pie. So the common thing that I saw when you guys were introducing yourself is that none of you truly made your first start in the sport industry. There was different variations in tech. I know Colette was saying that she was a real estate broker at the time. How do you try and merge the field that you're currently in to make it, as I'd call it, like sport adjacent? Hmm. And also, too, how would you try and round out your experience altogether so you're not so solely focused on the sport, you have a rich background in multiple industries. So I, for me, there's three components that you have to look at. No matter what you guys do, think about the skills that you're learning, the knowledge you're acquiring, and the desire you have. You can tell me anything that you do, and I'll tell you how you can have a business in sports doing it. Food, drink, what, anything. That's what pisses me off so much because my Instagram's filled with people asking me, how do I get a job in sports? What, what skills do you have? Right? I mean, I have an intern at my office. He's an accounting intern. I have a legal intern. Right I have a writing a content intern. Right? I literally have coding interns. There's more media guys that, you know, and they get to go on the sidelines of more games. Mm -hmm. They get yep. to go to the Super Bowl, the Pro Bowl, the and Masters. <laughs> right. They do. And they're not getting hurt. So, you know, really focus in on your, and it's not your passion. Like, I'm a big fan of learn to love what you're doing. Right? Learn to love what you're doing. There, there's no this bullshit, oh, I love what I do. I learn to love. My wife always says, you're so lucky you love every time. Like, Who the hell loves to sell legal research online? Like literally, right? I like the goddamn money, but every day I learn to love it and I learn the skills of communication, of listening, to organizing, how to travel. All these skills apply directly to when I became CEO of the most notable sports agency. Still don't really know how to be a sports agent other than to get a client and keep a client. Mm -hmm. That's literally what I said to myself. Mm -hmm. That's a sports agent. I love it. I love it. You know, my, my, my dad told me a long time growing up, my, my dad's a military guy. So everything that we had in our household was, if you say you're going to do it, you keep your word and you get it done or you don't say it. And, uh, and then he, I, I hear very often he would come in the house sometimes angry. My dad was a graphic artist and everything he did to perfection. And if he didn't know how to do it, he would figure it out. He would study and he would figure it out. 
And he would come in the house often enough and he would say to my brother, go, go get your brother. And I'd go get him and he would say, you damn sure better love whatever it is you choose to do. I don't care what it is. Janitor, doctor, I don't care what it is. You better love it because you're going to be there three quarters of your life. And we're like, all right, Dad, uh, Mom, what's for dinner? Because Dad's freaking out today again. You know? But as I got older, I, decide, I, I, I understood what he was getting at. Right? So for me, um, in, in real estate, I loved what I did in real estate. And I made a lot of money in it. But I think for me, it was more about I just kept my word. There were brokers that made a lot more money than me, but they were shammers. And I knew I was not that person. I'm still not that person. Right, but I did it great and I liked it a lot, a real lot. But then when I found football, I was just like, wow, this is like a passion, right? So, but the thing is for, for that, the, the adjacent part, I'm still trying to bring in my real estate company. I worked for a top firm. I worked for Halstead Property. I'm still trying to get them to give money to women in sports or, or pay me. I need people to pay me so I can visit more schools in underserved communities. So that these schools don't have to pay me. Hey, I want to help you with schools. Be strong and proud, but you gotta pay me. What kind of crap is that? But I gotta I have a mortgage. Right? So everything could be sports adjacent in my opinion. Everything could. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think there's more questions. So. This, this is a question maybe a little far out, but uh, oh, what, is your thought, <laughs> what is your thought on robots or like uh, humanoids in sports in the future or how they may help humans or how we can work with them? And is esports actually a sports if we're playing against a machine? So you're playing a uh, you know, computer game essentially. So is esports a sport? Is, is uh, you know, robots playing as a sport, like playing a ping pong machine robot? You know, you see these you know, things on TV, you see people playing basketball the robot can you know outshoot the human but is it a sport if a human's playing a robot or humans have to be playing humans next question you see robots you know helping humans shoot the basketball sort of thinking you know you see humans working with robots to play with them you know I think it's interesting to think about you know are robots you know playing with us or you know how can we you know, think about the future of that in some way. And that's, that's an interesting, you know, thing I think about when I look at, you know, you see a YouTube video where a robot can outshoot a human, like a chess player would play a chess machine and out, you know, plays the... Yeah, I, you know, I, I think you were correct when you said that question. Out there. And, and, and I'll tell you why I think so. I, I get where you're going with it, I think, but, but eSports, eGaming, we got that, right? But there's a lot of competitions right now with children learning robots and playing games with robots but they're they one day will work for ford or ferrari or ge you know so i think all that will enhance kids lives with robots and things like that but i mean at the end of the day i don't necessarily want to see robots take over the world i you know i don't i still want my i still would love to have a coach if i still played football with a human being you know i mean uh, we could you know I, I, I'm just a firm believer that robots in general will help augment the human experience and won't replace it and that humanity will always win. Um, we're looking at robots in a lot of different areas in the sports industry. We're looking at it from cameras. Um, so to be able to actually get more women's sports or um, lower level D3 um, but, you know, sports on TV, it's really expensive to send a camera crew. What's not expensive is if you... 
of um, robotic arms that can actually film, it actually has computer vision and is using AI and can actually film a game that is good enough to watch on broadcast television. So that's where we're looking at robotics in the sports industry. Robots we're looking at- Robots help uh, football players with the, you know, the automated tackling dummies and things like that. That robot will lay your ass <laughs> the reality is the insertable, like the replaceable and insertable parts of your body. We already have problems uh, with people being able to enhance their performance with robotics. And that, I think, is a true issue uh, to look at is replaceables. So your arm, your leg, et cetera. And, and those are coming. All right. I think we're out of time. Finish up here. We have, thank you guys for the questions. Thank you for the people. We have a couple of t-shirts uh, that we're going to give out, and then we're also going to give out one uh, free Entre Pro membership, which is going to get you access to all of our events for free for the whole year. Um, so we have, we have a few questions. Um, the first one, I hope you guys are paying attention because it's going to be, we're going to try to get, get some of the panelists in on, on these questions. So it's going to go to the first hand up. So I need some help with some of the team in the back on, on getting this. Who is David Meltzer's business partner that was also a quarterback? This guy right here. Warren Moon. Correct. Correct. We got a large for that. Large. Well, All right. Question number two. What was the NFL team that Colette was the coach for? I think it was over here. Which, which, which shirt, though? Was it the hair? All right. The Giants? Oh, no, you said Giants. Oh, the Jets. Pro membership, you guys can come to all of our events for free for a year. The question is, where was Microsoft founded? What city was Microsoft founded in? You already have a you already. Which who's who's second? Seattle, no. Who's next? Right here. Redmond, no. The guy in the back here with the vest? Nope. The girl, the girl, the lady. Not Palo Alto. Yes? No. Oh, yes? Nope. Right here. San Diego, no. Correct. Winner, winner. Uh, San Diego, you want to get his in place? Yes. 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 Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Sports Biz Pod. If you haven't already, go subscribe and give us a five-star review wherever you consume podcasts. Also connect with us on all social channels at Sports Biz Group 
well as check out our website, www.sportsbizgroup.com for some amazing resources and newsletters that will help you get an edge in the industry. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.